in our busy world where it, attention spans can be a challenge, having that just like something that's uh, appealing to look at, something that really just critically hits the information that teachers need, that's, that's where it's at. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast brought to you by Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I am your host, Steve Sophronis, and I apologize for my voice. I am have a little cold. 2022 and 2023 winter seems to be the cold that never ends. Um, and I know many of you are probably dealing with that as well, working in schools. We appreciate you and we hope that you stay well. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to take a minute to remind everyone that we have tons of new content on our ELL community. Just a few examples that I'm looking at right now, probably the biggest one and the one I'm most excited about is there is information about our 2023 Elevation Scholarship. Just really quickly, uh, we are giving away 10, that's double the amount of last year's, uh, 10 scholarships to deserving uh, multilingual learners. If you know a student who deserves a scholarship, um, please go to the ELL community at elevationeducation.com uh, and click on the resources button in the top right of the screen and you'll find that uh, information. Really, really good opportunity for anybody who's looking for a little help uh, as they approach their highest, uh, their higher education. Excuse me. We have a blog post also on what is academic language, been really well received. And of course, our regular blog posts, features, videos, uh, and podcasts like this one. So check out the ELL community, elevationeducation.com. There's the resources button on the top right corner, and you'll find lots of info there. Okay, so this week we bring back two familiar contributors to Highest Aspirations. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or if you're kind of immersed in the community that we've created... Carol Selva and Ton Nguyen are rock stars in the space. They are very generous with their time. I get to speak with them quite often. So they're joining us along with a guest who somehow is making her first appearance. Um, I'm very surprised by this, but also very excited that she's um, joining Ton and Carol. And that is Katie Topple, um, also uh, a, a huge contributor to our community. If you follow her on social media and other places, she has lots of great information to share. These three incredible people, as I said, uh, provide our community with a wealth of resources to ensure we are well-equipped to maximize the potential of our multilingual learners. You'll find their complete bios on our show notes. Um, in this interview, we're going to focus on how educators can engage in self-directed professional learning, specifically geared toward working with multilingual learners. Uh, our three guests have released a book recently on this topic. It's appropriately titled DIYPD, A Guide to Self-Directed Learning for Educators of Multilingual Learners. And here are some of the questions we'll cover in this interview. What are some benefits we have seen from the rise of virtual professional development opportunities since the pandemic? How can educators drive self-directed professional learning that can lead to deeper knowledge and sustained results? How can school leaders best support high-quality PD opportunities? As you know, there are many different ways to approach PD, as we discussed in the interview. Uh, there are more affordances now than ever. It's a really, really interesting topic to look into. If you're interested in learning more about the work that Elevation is doing to help content teachers best serve their multilingual learners, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at elevationeducation.com, or you can feel free to contact me directly at stevens at elevationeducation.com. Remember that Elevation has two L's. Thanks for listening to my raspy voice. I think it's a lot better in the interview since I recorded this before I had this cold. I hope you enjoy our conversation with Carol Salva, Ton Nguyen, and Katie Topple. 
Katie Topple, Tan Nguyen, and Carol Selva. Thank you all for joining us on Highest Aspirations. As I said those names, I thought how lucky I am to have all of you on at one time. And we are really well represented geographically today. So I think we'll do something different. Let's start off by calling out uh, where in the world everybody is calling in from as we record this uh, this episode. Carol, I'll start with you. I am in Houston, Texas. So yeah, and happy to be here. Great. Katie, how about you? I am joining this morning from Sun River, Oregon. So we have Texas, Oregon. Ton? Sub ID. That's how we say hello from Laos. I love it. I love it. And I'm in where I always am in New Hampshire, just north of our Boston office, Elevations Boston office over the border. Um, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. This is a this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and really one that's that's near and dear to everyone's heart at Elevation as we work to kind of um, do the best we can to impact not only multilingual learners but the teachers who serve them, and that's largely what you all are trying to do um, with this book uh, about DIY professional development. So. I want to start on a positive note. Um, what do you think is going well for professional development, particularly for teachers of multilingual learners right now as we kind of come out of the or in that kind of fuzzy area where there's probably still a little disruption from the pandemic, but we're definitely coming out of it. So what's good now? What is happening right now that's positive? The way we are learning right now is so different than the way we receive professional learning before. I, we, we never would have imagined of just having workshop online, right? Or having whole districts of students or teachers online learning from a person all the way from another country or, the, or another person from a, like, if someone's on the West Coast, but they're learning from someone from the East Coast, like never before has have schools been more receptive to virtual instruction, virtual professional learning and virtual collaboration. It has reduced the cost. It has shrunk in the geographical distance and it has changed um really the face of professional learning forever. I'm so excited for the change. It means more access to schools, more access to te for teachers, and a different way of, of learning. Yeah, you know, I, the word that came out there that really uh, I was highlighted for me at least, Tom, is receptive. The idea that schools and teachers and everyone is more receptive to this now and before it seemed a little bit, I mean, professional development, at least for me as a teacher, was always something that I kind of feared because a lot of it was not good, quite frankly. But now we're seeing that we can bring in people from all over the world who are you know, coming in in a variety of different formats who are really experts in their field and people are receptive and hopefully excited about it um, as well. All right. So... That's a great kind of way to frame this. I want to um, I want to read a quote from your book. So I have the book right here for those of you who, who aren't watching this on video, which is the vast majority of you who are just listening. And I want to read a quote. And the quote is, it's a little bit long, but I think it's worth reading because I really liked this quote. And I'm going to ask you uh, to kind of respond to a few questions that I have on it. So bear with me as I read this. I'm going to do my best to read it uh, eloquently. Teachers around the world began to read and share articles, watch videos, listen to podcasts, attend webinars, and connect with colleagues on social media. The learning was efficient and essential, driven by the immediate need to serve students differently. This type of learning, situationally appropriate and immediately applicable, driven by personal uh, was, was driven by personal choice and, des and designed to reflect individual styles, needs, and preferences, is a powerful and transformative tool for teachers not only in times of, of upheaval, but also in the most typical of circumstances. 
It's also exactly the type of professional learning for which we'll advocate in this book. Our focus rests on assisting teachers in selecting content that is personally relevant, can forge helpful professional connections, and can promote forms of participation that are comfortable for educators with different learning preferences. And what I love about that quote is it's based on, if you didn't kind of figure it out, the upheaval of the pandemic, but it's still great for now. So a couple of questions that I have kind of come out of that. Um, we, we talked about how PD can change in a real positive note just now, Tanya, you laid that out. Um, but didn't like this is a little bit of a devil's advocate question, but I want to ask it anyway. Didn't the pandemic require teachers to work much harder to get what they needed? Question number one. And question number two, how can we sustain the type of PD that you're advocating for without putting even more on teachers' plates? Yeah, I want to take that one. <laughs> it speaks it speaks to me so much because we were we had been writing this book uh, for over a year uh, when the pandemic hit. And Katie and Ton and I had been offering virtual professional learning for free. Basically what Ton said, we were trying to remove barriers for teachers to be able to personalize their learning. We'd been doing that for years with the ML Summit. It used to be called Virtuel in mm -hmm. the summer. And so that people received that very well. And what is great about reflecting on that is that that is Virtuel or ML Summit. Uh, that is a free conference on YouTube that no one's required to attend. You know, that is a choice kind of thing. And we have so many educators that wanted to do it year after year because we created it in a way that you get what you want and as much as you want and when you want. Maybe you want to do five minutes this week, but it's personalized. And I know teachers will agree with me. It's not that we don't want professional learning. It's that we want it to be effective mm -hmm. and we want it to be meaningful and we want it to be what we need when we need it. <laughs> so when the pandemic hit, we were in the middle of writing this and it was this realization that this is, I mean, it's not comfortable. It's cringy. It's, it's uncomfortable because we had to change often is not something we look forward to. But but I think we'll all agree that it's it's like what we're asking of our students. If you if you take this on, it would get easier the more you do of it. And as long as it's meaningful, we have students engaged, as long as it's relevant, as long as they feel themselves getting better at it. We can see it from the lens of how we want students to take ownership of their mm -hmm. learning. So the three of us are just offering so many, so many different entry points. I like one of the words that you said from that quote is what's comfortable. Yeah. Com now we can look back and go, okay, so I had to, I didn't have a choice, but now I have these skills that I didn't <laughs> uh, know I needed. What can I do with them? And what's comfortable for me? And how much do I even want? Do I have five minutes this week? Or, you know, do I want to sit there in an hour because I'm really into something that I've that I that I have available to me? So it's I, I think that what I'm trying to express is we didn't choose to do the world did not choose it, but it was the perfect storm of okay, now that we're in it and we had no choice, how do we capitalize on it in a way that's comfortable? Right. And I would add too, you you asked about um, wasn't it harder for teachers to get 
what they needed. And I would almost argue the opposite because due to the circumstances of we could no longer engage in a typical model of PD because we couldn't be gathered together. That was just off the table at that point in time. And so that's when really people started thinking outside the box. And I feel like so much was readily available because we were all thrust into this circumstance of nobody was an expert on teaching the way we had to teach. Nobody was an expert on you can no longer be in person with your, your students and you have to connect to them digitally from their homes, from your home. Like it was all new. And so in a way it's a little humbling of, we all have to start from the beginning to learn about this, but that's when this webinar came out and this webinar and this webinar and really kind of the flexibility of somebody is sharing a webinar, but they're going to make the link available. So if you couldn't Mm -hmm. watch it at that time, you can watch it later. And that's part of the crux of our ideas is it doesn't need to be here and now in this and one way. There's so much flexibility out there because circumstances were so hard that that was one thing we just needed. We needed to be better for us. We needed it to be easier. And I feel like people showed up so many giving people put on free webinars and just made information available because we had to figure it out. And when somebody was like, Hey, this is a good idea. They shared it openly. And then we all learned from each other. So it was kind of obviously not an ideal circumstance, but an organic way that really pushed a shift in how people learn with some good outcomes of, Hey, you know what? I can engage in something from my home. Mm -hmm. I can have worthwhile learning when I'm on the go. It doesn't have to be everyone gathered in a room listening to a professional speaker. It doesn't have to be that it could, but there are just so many other ways. And I think that was, that almost made it easier because there's so much, so much available. That's a great point. I was actually hoping to elicit that response because, again, it was kind of a bit of a devil's advocate question, and I think that that's right. And a lot of the stuff that you are mentioning, the webinars and all the stuff that was put out there and available, is actually still available for folks, and a lot of it is still evergreen, and there's more stuff being produced every day. Now it becomes a matter of how do you curate it? How do you find the right thing, right, which is a whole other discussion probably. But one thing that you mentioned that I I can't resist, I have to kind of um, tell a little story about, you talked about nobody was an expert. So- I have been for the last seven years or so on a teaching team at the Harvard Graduate School of Education for a course called, wait for the title of the course, Connected Teaching in the Digital Age. So you would think that folks at Harvard, right, who are teaching graduate students how to best connect teachers digitally would be well prepared for the pandemic. But this course took place on campus in Cambridge. I had to commute like an hour and a half to get there, but I love doing it. So I did. And then it was spring semester. So in the middle of the pandemic happened, we went online. And guess what? We had no idea what to do. And it was messy and it was difficult. Not nearly, by the way, as difficult as you all who are teaching. I taught high school for 17 years. I can't even imagine doing what you all um, had to do during that time and still have to do it for, in a variety of ways. But I, 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 it was, I did not, um, it was not lost on me, the idea that we couldn't adapt quick enough. And it took us really a year to kind of figure it out for the next semester, but then things got better. And we started to see, well, wait a minute, we can bring in students from all over the world. They don't have to come to campus. We can bring in experts from everywhere. They don't have to come. We Zoomed people in you know, before that, but it was always messy and quirky. So anyway, the point there is that that was universal. That wasn't just K-12. That was everywhere. Um, so anyway, all right. Well, thanks for that, Katie. I think that's really, really important to talk about that 
it, it, it did in many ways make things easier as long as you could access the information, which eventually most people could. So let's talk about, I want to get into the book a little bit here. <clears throat> I want to actually spend the rest of our time talking about kind of the structure of the book. I know when you set out to write it, um, you, and again, you did this before the pandemic, you got together and listed all the things you had been doing to grow as educators. And if folks know of the work that you're doing, that's a lot. You're all over social media talking about that in lots of different places. From that list, you came up with three categories that eventually became the primary sections of the book. And one of the great things about these three categories is that I think they align kind of perfectly with the domains of of language we work uh, with to develop multi uh, multilingual learners. I want to explore those categories one by one, but first, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of the overall vision behind structuring uh, learning in this way. I can remember when the three of us came together in Texas to talk about the book and plan things out, and that was in person. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the ideas that was thrown out and it it was just, it clicked. It was like, yes, this is how it has to be because our audience is educators of multilingual learners and educators of multilingual learners are very familiar with interpreting, sometimes also called receptive learning and expressive learning and interactive learning. And so teachers, you know, appreciate a good organizational structure or something familiar. So it was taking something that teachers are familiar with that they know that they use with their own students and just pivoting it to apply to their own learning. And so it just seemed very natural that when we think of all these things for our own instruction to help students learn, they also very much apply to our own learning, that we should not limit our learning to one specific way that we should have a variety and just that there's so many different ways to learn but they marry so well with kind of that integral structure of our field. And so we just thought it was such a natural fit and just really made sense. And then from there, that's when we started to kind of structure our, our action verbs. If you, if you look through the book, each um, of the domains has specific action verbs because we really wanted our readers to know that these this is action. These are all actionable things that they that they can do. So within each category, then we came up with our list of actions that teachers can engage in um, for each of the domains. You want to take us, Katie, into the first one, which is interpretive professional learning, unless Tan or Carol, you have something to add there with the overall structure. Yeah, okay. I um, interpretive interpretive learning, I feel is a wonderful place to start because it's really what brought the three of us together that we started engaging in our what formerly was ELL Chat Book Club on Twitter, um, and we have since changed it to MLL Chat Book Club. But we came to know each other through deciding to engage in online virtual book studies. Um, so interpretive learning is um, reading and watching and listening. Those are our action verbs in that in that category. And it's really where learners kind of just gather the information, and it it is an avenue of professional learning that you really can engage in on your own, mm -hmm. which I connect to as someone who loves to read and someone who doesn't always want to be social. Um, we talk in the book about, you know, many teachers are introverts and kind of thinking and processing and um, engaging in creativity. Sometimes that really is fostered when you are on your own and learning through reading or maybe listening to a podcast or watching videos. And then there are other layers and ways to enhance that. But the interpretive phase is really gathering the information and weaving it into 
what you currently know. So whatever your instructional or educational circumstances, you have a lot of background knowledge and history and experiences, and then you read something new or you listen to something or watch something and you go through that process of, oh, that's new, or I see how that fits with this experience, or oh, I see how that could work with the, this population of students I teach. Um, and it's just kind of that information gathering and processing phase where there's so much new content out in the field. There's research, there's blog posts, there's so many different types of things to read. There's podcasts to listen to. There's just so much information. Um, interpretive is really that take it all in, process it, and then go on to other areas and layers. I want to follow up on what Katie just said, because originally I was thinking, or we were thinking that receptive uh, was the right term to use, because like she said, watching or listening or reading, the information is coming at you. And we changed that uh, uh, was a suggestion to change it because when you've chosen to listen to a podcast, like people are right now, it's not just receptive. Uh, it, you're interpreting it. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about the students that you serve. You're thinking about the role that you have in the district. You're doing more with what you're hearing mentally. <laughs> that is, it's not just, you know, somebody talking at you. Um, you're you're interpreting what you are hearing or reading or watching. So I like that we changed that because as Katie said, it's you have to honor people that that is their preferred and it's not just listening or watching or reading. And one of our our five C's in the book is choice. And there's something there's something different about your lens and how you interpret when you have chosen what you're engaging in compared to when mm -hmm. it is just what your school is doing or your group of teachers, whatever it might be. And so often that mindset when it is chosen for you can be biased by kind of a negative influence of this isn't for me. I mean, I know as an English language development teacher, there are times when the professional development does not apply to my role. And sometimes it can be hard to sit through that and find ways to make it relevant. But when you choose it, there's like, I swear, there's something physiologically different in your brain and in your system when you're like, I'm, I chose this, I'm engaging in it. And just the way that you interpret it and process it, it's, it's more relevant and engaging because of that onus that you chose it. And it's what you wanted to learn about. Yeah. And again, we see the reflection in our kids, both, and I'll, I'll say both in the students that I've taught and my own children, who <laughs> one of which is an expert at, you know, curating stuff that, that, uh, that, that makes him happy to read. But when it becomes time to read something for school, as we all know, have all seen that, that bias kicks in and it, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of break down those uh, those barriers. So that, that's a really good point. And I really love that you changed it, by the way, from receptive to interpretive to what it's worth, because it really, the hope is, is that when somebody's listening to this, we bring in folks like you who are experts in the field, that people are actually trying to interpret it in a way that fits in their particular programs or their particular context. Um, and that's kind of what I think we're all striving to do. So I think naming is important. And if you name something receptive, that's what it is. If you name it interpretive, I think that's what it becomes. Um, and I also just want to call out to this idea of um, of 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 calling out the fact that 
not all teachers are extroverts. Some, in fact, are introverted. And this is a great way to learn for those for those people um, uh, and, and a great way to kind of stretch for other people who maybe are extroverts, which I think is just as important. So speaking, oh, go ahead, Tan. Yeah, Katie just mentioned one of our five C's. Um, and I think this when we came together and we thought about like, okay, what makes professional learning really effective? We, we looked at the research and we came up with the five C's of choice, continuity, community, connectedness, and costs. And we see these as levers. So we, we see this as for teachers, uh, they can choose um, to to turn up the levers on each of these based upon their, their circumstances. But they can also, for district leaders or principals or professional development providers or facilitators, they can also um, think about their professional learning in this term of like, how can we give more choice to teachers? Mm -hmm. How can we make this session more community-based? How can it, how can we reduce the costs or make it free? Or how can we incentivize teachers to participate in this, even though there is cost, right? How can this be used again and again, integrated throughout the year? So we thought like uh, corner, the cornerstone, one of the, one of the main things about working with multilingual students is like differentiating instruction. If that's true for students, why don't we differentiate instruction or professional learning for teachers? And these are the five ways we differentiate instruction for we differentiate professional learning for ourselves by choice, continuity, community, connectedness, and costs. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Tom. That's important. I um, I, I think that that is kind of a foundational element of what we're talking about. Again, like I can't help but bring up that's another connection to the same way. You know, we want to be teaching our, we want to do these things for our students. We could do these things as well um, for our teachers. Um, Can I? And interject something. Of course. Because I feel like Tan just did something important for the listener is uh, understanding how the book is structured and how we, those five C's and the, the bigger picture and why it's appropriate for anyone in education that works with multilingual learners. So something that we get lots of uh, positive feedback is that throughout each chapter, there's this little try it out. Like, let's just say we're talking about uh, interpretive uh, webinars or a podcast, but it'll say, try it out. There'll be this little cutout. And then it's specifically, if you're a teacher, here are some things you could try. If you're an instructional coach, here are some things you could try. If you are an administrator, here are some things you could try. So we challenged ourselves to write the entire book from three different lenses. Mm -hmm. So that, and those try it out things are multiple times in each chapter. So it's so user-friendly and it, even that's differentiated further for what your role is. Steve, we're super proud of this. <laughs> yeah, as well, you should be. I mean, I have it in front of me and I, I, it's that like we, you know, at Elevation talk a lot about the learn, teach, reflect model when it comes with this. And it's, 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 it's here in a way that is accessible to everyone. And as you said, differentiated for different, um, different people and with lots of different ideas. Um, and no surprise, given the three folks that you have, you know, that have come together to write this book, I'm not surprised that it's, that it's quite well done. Um, so I, I'm going to stay with, and I'm happy to take these detours. I think that's kind of the beauty of what we're doing in these in these conversations. I always tell everybody, I don't have a script, right? We're just kind of walking through some information. But I do want to finish with, we said we'd talk about the three 
um, pieces. We said interpretive, professional learning. We talked about that. We still have expressive and interactive. So let's go to that expressive professional learning, which uh, may at first glance seem to kind of stray from what we know as professional development. Um, in fact, like in my brain as in the marketing team at Elevation, it looks kind of a lot like marketing to me. Um, but w- what is it and why is it important for educators of multilingual learners? When we think about instruction again, like we think about comprehensible input right, and comprehensible output for multilingual learners. Well, it's the same way for professional learning. There's comprehensible input. But if teachers are not engaging with output, there is no learning or not a lot of learning or their the engagement is not as high as it could be. So we thought about, okay, you can listen to a podcast, you can read a book, you can watch a webinar, but is that just the only thing we can do? No, we can talk about the book. We can um, talk about the podcast. We can watch the video together and have conversations. Um, what we can do is we can create whatever we're learning or taking in we can create a community around it where we can talk about it. For some people, they don't want to talk about it. Well, they can write about it in a, like a microblog, such as a tweet, or they can just go on um, like Instagram and do a very quick video. Right? It's anything where teachers can process and communicate what they understand. It's kind of like the quote, tell me and I will forget, show me and I will remember, involve me and I will learn. So we wanted to have teachers think about how can, okay, you're given this professional learning. How can you take it in a way that's more interactive for you? How can you um, do something with it so that it shows you how to process the information? It really is simple as, simply can be simply as just sitting with a colleague and saying, hey, these are my notes. These are, or sitting, sitting through, a, through a, a webinar or, or an in-person workshop and writing sketch notes mm-hmm. drawing pictures it's something that it makes it more active and then that's what we really want we want just teachers to think how can i just be more than a vehicle to receive but also to communicate what i understand to process what i understand and i appreciate you bringing up the various forms of processing i think that's really important and one thing that i'll go back to that that graduate course for which i was part of the teaching team when we went virtual, we lost a lot of in-person discussion moments that that this may be controversial to say, but in my mind, there's nothing like an in-person discussion. It's just, I just I thrive on that. That's me. Someone else was so excited to be able to now have a back channel that they could use and process their 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 thoughts in a, in a written way, which not that's not kind of how I work. But we're stretching each other to do different things. We're learning about different things. And so I think, you know, the traditional PD, we have uh, somebody speaking and then there's a session, maybe there's a turn and talk, maybe people raise their hands, but the addition of all of these, and it's not new, right? But it's just adding different elements to it and kind of making those count as ways of expressive professional learning or as ways to make sure that you're not just taking in information, but you're doing something with it. Carol, look, you had something to add there. Yeah. I mean, so the three of us have created and many people listening to um, have created content for the world without getting a professional learning, without the receptive piece. I mean, basically, you you probably get receptive learning all of the time uh, or or interpretive learning all of the time. But you decide to create something, a blog post, a podcast, what we're doing right now. 
Um, I love what Tan's talking about, the more of the interactive piece. Once you get the interpretive, then do, doing something with it that you might not have had the opportunity to interact with the speaker or whatever it was. So you can take it upon yourself to go be interactive about it and create something. But it's not necessary that you have that interpretive. You can just be doing a blog. You could just be reflecting in your own journey of learning and creating a blog or doing a podcast or create a webinar or do a newsletter for your campus based on what you know and what you'd like to share. That professional learning of just creating that thing is what we really underscore in this chapter of expressive. Mm -hmm. You are just creating something, whether it's writing or speaking or recording, um, you know, you're, you're creating something. And like Tan said with his quote, if I'm involved in doing that, of course, we know it's, it requires more. The one who gets the most out of it is the one who had to create the session or create the newsletter or create the podcast. So this, that second chapter is really about some way of expressing and what lots of different examples from the field are there but what do you get out of it when you create that thing when you write that thing when you record that thing um it's a it's a it's just so many different uh ways that that can be done and we emphasize too you don't have to create for an audience you can create just for yourself Great point. But there is an added benefit. And when we get into the interactive piece, this comes in and and layering together, you can create something that is just for you. And then you can choose to share it and it benefits, it benefits others. But that that moment you take to process and kind of reflect on what you know and how you could explain it to someone else, or just that flow of ideas if you're blogging or taking notes. There's so many ways to just make sure. For me, it's a memory thing. If I don't write something down or draw pictures, chances are I may not remember it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read a lot, you know, just a lot happens. We're all busy people. It's hard to really just retain everything. But when you make a visual or just go through that process of really reflecting, it solidifies what you've learned even more. And then that added bonus of, hey, you can take something cool that you created and you can share it. Mm-hmm. I was just before break, I was asked um, that after after our winter break, my, my partner and I will be sharing strategies for language, infusing language in reading and math. And I've been, it's been at the back of my mind all break. Like, okay, I, I have a lot of ideas and I use a lot of strategies. Now I have to filter this for an audience. I cannot talk long. This is not an hour and a half session. This is a tidbit in a staff meeting. What is the most critical information to share? And so at some point during this break, that's a process I'm going to go through is here are all of my ideas and okay, could I create something that's really visually appealing that teachers could kind of keep by their computer or with their lesson plan book? Um, it, you know, we talk about infographics and things like that because in our busy world where it attention spans can be a challenge, Yeah, having that just like something that's uh, appealing to look at, something that really just critically hits the information that teachers need, that's that's where it's at. And so not everyone enjoys reading the entire book, 
But if we can read the entire book and find key points and make something in a pretty package, just say, here's really the essential piece that we want everyone on staff to know, that's great. And then maybe someone else does it. And then we get their, their kind of, you know, consolidation of ideas. And just that's where really the reflection and learning can be extended to wider audiences. So it's not just your learning, but you can share more widely. I think about that so often, everything that you just mentioned. And the first thing I'll say is that that process of doing that, what you're about to do, kind of bringing something down to something very simple to show, maybe you have two minutes or five minutes to show it. What a process for the person creating it to really understand and you know, bring out what the main points are for a specific audience. Then, of course, sharing it with other people is just incredible value. We'll get into that interactive in a second, which will, you know, I think this process will lead us into. Um, but I think about it all the time because, you know, we've done, I don't know, almost 300 of these episodes, right? Not everybody listens to podcasts. That's just not everybody's thing. Not everybody has the time to listen to a podcast that goes over a half an hour long. So I think about, it's always a question of like capacity, how much time do we have? But I think about often, how can we create, make these like amazing expert you know, recommendations more actionable? And so we've tried to do that on the blog and make some quick takeaways. But there, I, I, I was literally driving this morning and I was thinking about that. What can we do like next season to make like, can we do like a two minute, like quick takeaways from this? Um, and and it's it's the same thing. The process of doing that is super beneficial. And then the person, you know, that's that's actually listening to it or the people that are listening to it or reading it or whatever, seeing a visual are going to benefit from that. Um, and I want, we could stay on that point forever, but I want to like kind of switch gears into interactive. Um and so that kind of leads us to interactive. Once you have this thing, people can kind of interact around it. Interactive professional learning, I think, is exactly kind of what it sounds like. So maybe for this one, take us through the steps um, an educator should take to learn in this way and talk a little bit about the value in it. And Carol, maybe you can kick us off there. So it's hard to talk about the first two without talking about the interactive piece. You know, we've already talked about if you got, to, if you listen to a podcast that you love, you're going to get a lot out of it because you chose it. And then, like we said before, but could you take that to the next level? So the, the prior chapter where it was expressive, you could, I mean, be as simple as having a journal next to your bed. And a couple of times a week, you jot a sentence down of something you don't want to forget. It doesn't have to use, none of these things have to use technology, but it, you know, so you're expressing yourself in that journal, but you're just interacting with yourself really, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely worth it. Like Katie said, you get so many benefits out of expressing yourself, the memory piece, the re reflective piece and all of that. But what we're really, what we're really taking a deeper dive into the interpret, um, interactive chapter, the three verbs, the three sections of this chapter are how do you engage? How do you engage with others? How do you collaborate with others? Um, we started with just connecting with others. Those verbs connect, engage, collaborate is really where we're offering ideas. The whole book has just ideas from the field of, um, you know, people to follow and watch how they do these things. So we, we could do that with this podcast. Let's say you're getting an interpretive PD opportunity here, and then you could make some notes for yourself. And there you have the, the receptive piece, the interpretive piece, and the expressive piece. But once 
I go to Voxer or pick up the phone and call Katie the Orton, like we often do. We often collaborate after we've seen something together. Then it's interactive. You're interacting with someone else. That can be the teacher down the hall. It could be Ton on the other side of the world. But I'm not just expressing myself. I'm listening to their point of view. I'm connecting. I'm engaging with someone else. Um, so, so many, it can look like a lot of things. It can look like a lot of things. We just have so many opportunities to do this with one minute or to do this with a project. What would, uh, Ton or Katie, what would you guys, um, add to that? Cause this is just to me, one of the most fun parts. This is where with my own students, where it really changed my lens for what they were able to do. There's a quote in the book by Leo Gomez, um, who is someone I, le- I studied under for dual language. If the top 25% of your class can do something, the entire class can do it because they're going to engage with each other and collaborate. And so that's kind of the thing that we're talking about here is mm-hmm. I'm going to learn from someone else. I'm going to offer what I know. And in the collaboration, we know we're all going to be better together. Tawny yeah, Kate- I think it's, I was thinking that it, the multiple perspectives gives you, it informs kind of a feedback loop of reflection because I might know what this looks like in a co-teaching setting with a group of kindergarten students in Oregon, in my student population. But maybe when someone tries it in you know, rural Iowa, it's different. And so when you can hear from other teachers in other contexts, it really just helps kind of broaden your understanding. And that's especially important when we go on to lead professional learning for wider groups of teachers, because I teach elementary, but when I get Carol's perspective on older students, I have a better understanding of the broad spectrum of learners that teachers could could encounter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you go to a professional learning situation and the speaker is speaking about a really a smaller subset of a population and maybe they don't have expertise in older students or slice students or newcomers or whatever it might be that feels less relevant and so the more we learn from each other we just it's more input to be able to have a clear understanding of how strategies and ideas and research apply across the field and not just to our particular instructional or professional setting and just engaging with people from different backgrounds. I mean, there's just our Twitter PLN, we just hold in such high regard because it's international and it allows us to engage with people who are not like us, who don't have the same background, the same location, just so many different elements of diversity that it informs informs our learning from just so many different angles and allows it to not kind of be our... um, like what's the word? Our narrow, a narrow view, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a story about that. I, because um, I always, always often talk about translanguaging, and I often use the words like, "Allow your students to translanguage." And then someone on Twitter was like, "Like allow? Hmm, why would you ha- allow your students?" And it's like, you know, I'd never thought about that. And I, and it, if that if I didn't tweet that out. I would have never thought of that way because I engage with my professional learning community by expressing like, okay, this is what I'm doing to translanguage. And I use the word allow. And then someone pushed back and I was like, oh my goodness, thank goodness that I engaged with Twitter in this way. 
And if I'm grateful for that person to say, I want you to consider your, your, the word of allow. And like, is that really um, equitable? And so that's just one story of example of so many other stories where like someone has influenced my thinking, has shaped my way of practice uh, because I interacted with the community. Because, you know, in our own heads, we always think we're right. But when someone else interacts with us, we're like, oh, you know what? I, I guess this is another example. Like the book that we wrote together is so much better because of Carol and Katie were there, right? The book that I w- would have written by myself would have would have paled in comparison to what they both would have, they both added to the book. And so, mm. same thing. When we express our ideas, share with the community, someone else is going to help us grow or reinforce our ideas, um, so that we we it's kind of like a butterfly and you know how when when it pushes out of the cocoon it has to have some resistance if not the butterfly wings actually won't have the juice won't have the fluids that go in to the different veins of the wings to actually push it out right. of its cocoon that's a great way to put it and and ton i mean i'll add a couple of things that maybe you you may have perhaps have been too humble to say or just left out i probably the former um i think you, in order to do what you just talked about, number one, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to put stuff out there that even though you know you may feel strongly about it, but you may get some pushback, that's number one. Number two, you need to be open to feedback, right? And so those are two really, really important elements here. And I think by being open to feedback, you're now allowing others or encouraging, maybe I shouldn't use allow, encouraging others to... Uh, to, to, to be vulnerable as well. And that opens the door for a lot of really high quality conversations and leaning in rather than calling out. So, I mean, it's a wider conversation, but I couldn't help but think of that as you brought up that example. It's a great example. Um, yeah, so, so much here. And I, I think that like walking through, um, I, I wasn't, you know, honestly, like, as I was structuring this, because there's so much in the book and I'm glad you brought up the C's as well, because there's, there's so much in there when I thought about it, I'm like, well, let's, let's do the interpretive and the expressive and the interactive. Cause I think it kind of will follow a flow and I'm glad I think it did. So I, I hope that that worked for people who are listening to kind of understand how those work together. You all did a great job describing them all. I want to zoom out a little bit in the kind of little few minutes that we have left. And, um, I think most of what we've talked about here is probably geared toward an individual teacher, perhaps a group of teachers that are looking to do what the book says, which is DIY PD, figure out what works for them and then have a structure in place so that they can get something out of it. I want to zoom out a little bit, though, and talk about um, what what do you think school leaders, because there's many that listen to this um, and administrators, say multilingual learner administrators, need to know or need right now um, to implement high quality, sustainable job embedded PD for their teachers to best support multilingual learners. This is a great start. Like this is a, and perhaps it's a structure in, in and of itself. You tell me what, what is it that they need most given everything that's out there? Hey, go ahead. That's what I was going to say. That's, that's why we wrote this book that we intentionally made sure that the resources and the ideas in the book are applicable, not just to the individual teacher, but also to instructional coaches and administrators, and even not just principal administrators, but district level, you know, curriculum and instruction type administrators. The five C's are are relevant. And that's why we wanted to provide that understanding of kind of the multiple avenues that you can 
in, explore and investigate professional development because so many times it is not what people want <laughs> that happens. Um, and that that's really disheartening when you are sitting in a professional development session that's been planned and all of the teachers are getting the same thing and you don't find relevance. Mm -hmm. And so for a leader, they need to know that connectedness piece of what is connected. And that is different for different people. The PE teacher does not have the same sense of relevance when it comes to professional learning as the science teacher, as the language arts teacher, as the music, like there's so many different teachers. And so I think that one, I would really encourage goal setting and reflection because as the administrator, I want to know the goals of my individual teachers. It is not easy to plan one type of professional learning that's going to meet everyone's needs. And so you need to understand where people are coming from and what they want to learn in order to kind of then in, you know, delve into some of the different ideas we present of, are we going to run a book study? Are we going to, you know, identify a list of podcasts to listen to? Are we going to hire a professional speaker to come in? And then have breakout groups where people can have discussions and interact around something that really sparked their interest. Um, you know, I'm seeing in my context more choice, more um, more interest in having teachers kind of group based on what they're really passionate about. And even within all of the EL specialists who are doing the same job, we have different levels of expertise and different areas of interest. And so admin is fostering that and saying, what do you really care about? What do you really want to learn about? Okay. All of you go sit together and talk about that and engage in discussion. And then maybe it's more organic that groups who have shared interests decide we want to read this book, or we want to watch this webinar, or we would really like funds to invite this speaker, but it has, it's based on self-reflection and goal setting so that there really is authentic drive and interest. And then of course, there's the issue of cost, you know, budgets are not unlimited, mm -hmm. but at least you can start from a place of maybe some people just want to buy a $20 book and that's less expensive than a professional speaker, or maybe people just want to gather around and, you know, watch a webinar that's free. And so maybe you're going to pay for snacks, but you're not actually going to have a cost for the the source of learning because it's a free webinar that was shared openly on somebody's yeah. webpage or on Twitter, whatever it might be. There's just so many avenues. I feel like I would go back to reflection, goal setting, and fostering that independent ownership and choice for teachers. That was exactly what I was going to pull out the last the last sentence that you said. So I won't I won't say it again. I think that's crucially important. Carol Tan, anything to add there? This will be kind of the last. We'll wrap it up here. I mean, I guess it would be interesting if you want to take a stab at this to think about. Well, what if Katie said budget our budgets are not unlimited, and that's true. What if maybe what if they were? Should we talk about like this, you know, pie in the sky stuff, or we can go with the other question, which is basically thinking about leadership and what they need to do. Well, um, even if I had an unlimited budget, I would want to choose wisely. I just want the most effective thing. 
That's why cost is one of the things is like, even if you have zero budget, we really initially started talking about this book for the teacher that is in a district in a remote area that has no access to professional learning being offered to them. And what can you do on your own for free? It's just immense. The, uh, the, the opportunities that are out there and powerful. So whether I had an unlimited budget or not, I would still want to make it more learner centered. So what do the teachers, what does your staff want? What are their preferred um, learning styles? What do they want to do? And what I love about this resource is it makes it easy for you to do that. As an administrator, this book steps you through, try this, try this, try this, and you are offering personalized it seemed so elusive before how you could personalize or differentiate. Let's use that word. It's the parallels are direct. I have a class full of students that all have different backgrounds, different levels, different language, different speed at which they're learning. And I have to differentiate for them as a teacher. So the administrator doing that for the staff or doing that for the district, it, it's the same thing. And we're offering you ways to do it that are practical and don't have to cost it a lot of money at all. Now we've had districts, um, our first district to hire us to come in and do a professional learning on this book. Um, and so that people have some dedicated time to try things out. Mm -hmm. I find that, is, that I just find it was um, Mansfield ISD here in, in Texas. And so a, a big group of people, so that at the end of the day, they have a, more in their tool belt because like Katie said earlier, there's no time. Every day there's a new lesson that has to be created. And so dedicating professional learning time that's actually going to have your staff um, taking more ownership because they see how easy it is and it's more meaningful to them. I think that is one of the most important things that leadership can think about right now. Mm -hmm. How do I dedicate time to this? So Ton and I have both done a PD uh, half day and full day professional learning where we let people try these things out. And we, you know, we're modeling strategies too that are, work well in classrooms, but that has taken off. Prince William just ordered hundreds of copies of this book to, because they see the value in holding their teachers, their educators, and their leaders in high regard. They can take their own professional learning. And it's not like we're going to stop doing professional learning with them, but they want them to have it be as powerful. Any professional learning that they do or teachers find on their own, um, they want them and their administrators and their coaches to have the opportunity to make the most of it. So I, yeah. that's what I would recommend. Yeah, and let me shout yeah. out Prince William for a second here because Carol, you and I have talked about that district. I've had the pleasure of having a few folks on from that district on the podcast. I visited, wrote a case study about how they're using uh, our Elevation Math program, and they are the the they are so strategic about what they do. Um, they move in the right direction and they make adjustments when they need to. Um, so and so, if they, my, I guess my point here, people listening and aren't familiar with Prince William. If a district like that made the decision to 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 look at this book and to purchase hundreds of them, then you know that it was a good decision because I can guarantee you that there were a lot of conversations about you know how that was going to work for them. Katie, yeah. I think I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Katie. I was just going to say, and it's not as though as an administrator, then 
your hands off because you've given teachers just free reign in professional learning. The book gives you the structure of teachers might engage in interpretive professional learning based on their goals and what they want to learn. But then you structure opportunities for them to take what they learned and to create something to reflect on what they've learned. And there's Mm -hmm. choice in that. They might create an infographic. They might just write down a stream of thoughts about what they learned. They might put it on a sticky note. It might be um, tabs in a book. It might be there's there's a wide variety. So teachers can, again, have ownership and agency in choosing how they create something to reflect what they've learned. Then you move everyone into that interactive piece where then things are shared and they learn from one another. They learn how to collaborate. They learn how to present to their peers and showcase what they've learned. They learn how to co-present and um, you know engage with others and just it, then it moves from being everyone on their own trajectory of professional learning to everyone on a collective shared trajectory of professional mm-hmm. learning where everyone reciprocally benefits from what everyone else has learned. So maybe I'm not super into reading books and going down like a whole research avenue on um, social emotional learning, but maybe one of the kindergarten teachers is, and maybe she does that and shares with me. And then when we co-teach together, I've shared with her, she shared with me, we're better together. And that's kind of then the broader perspective. So an individual teacher can take this book and engage in all the different layers, but an administrator or a district can also do that and kind of empower teachers to make independent choices, but also, carry them along in kind of a collective way so that everybody individually and interdependently gains from it. Yeah. And it seems like along the way, sorry, Carol, seems like along the way you can pull those levers, right? That, that Tom was talking about earlier to figure out kind of what works for your particular district. Let's take one more thought, Carol, and then we'll wrap it up with my last question. Just that it's just the meta awareness that we're helping people realize I'm learning like this. This is important. We have other districts like Springfield who just did the book study on it. And so we have a we have a book study that they can do. And so there are um there the way that what we're what we're talking about in the book is how you can use the book. <laughs> it's just it all just kind of keeps folding on to itself. So yeah. Great. So many different entryways, many different pathways. Um, before I ask you the last question, which is about books, but not about this book, let me say that the name of the book is DIY PD, a guide to self-directed learning for educators of multilingual learners. Um, and I have it on my desk and I've been through it. And that's kind of how I framed the questions. And I definitely recommend it. Um, so let's talk about other books. As you probably know, in the podcast, the last question I ask everybody, and it's largely a selfish question because I need to know what I need to read, but it's hopefully beneficial to others as well, is if there's a book or a film or any other resource that has had an important influence on you personally or professionally that you'd like to share. And Tony, Carol, you've done this before. So I'm going to start with Katie. I'm going to, I'm going to limit you. I'm going to be strict. I'm going to limit you all to one. Everybody wants to do three or four, but there's three of you. So you only get one, the book and the author and why it's important to you. Katie, go ahead. This is a hard question because I read a lot, but I have an answer. I would say a book that was really pivotal for me is Zaretta Hammond's Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. Um, I read it years ago, but it's something that just helped me understand that the way students learn is 
connected to brain research and it's physiological. And especially now um, we've had several trainings on trauma informed practice and Mm -hmm. kids have kids, families, teachers, everybody has gone through so much in the pandemic and that information that she shares about brain science and about the way the brain reacts to stress and so many things are just absolutely essential to working with children in classrooms when there has been trauma, there has been collective trauma and just so much in our lives. So that is one that if anyone has not read it, I highly recommend it. I think, I think she's working on a new book and I really can't wait until she puts more out because she is absolutely brilliant. Agreed. It's on my shelf and it's amazing. So if you haven't read that one, go for it. I'll, we'll link to it in the show notes and in the blog post episode. Uh, Carol, you're not muted. So I'll go to you. Oh, um, Emily Francis's book that just came out, came to mind right away um, because it's, it's different than a biography about her life, which it's, her life is amazing, but she is an immigrant that went through so many hard things as a young person. So they're letters to her students So you get to hear the stories, Emily's stories. And so it's called, If You Only Knew Letters from an Immigrant Teacher. And I just recommend class sets of this for secondary students and even elementary students, maybe read alouds and things because they're, it's super, it's very powerful. That's Emily Francis. Uh, I'm biased because I know Emily and she was just with you, Carol, in our impact conference as well. And she's amazing, but I'm halfway through it and it's unbelievable. It's really, 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 really well done. I got a copy about a week ago and it's great. Um, so we're two for two with books that are on my bookshelf, Ton. Surprise <laughs> oh, me. I bet this uh, I bet this will not be on your bookshelf, but because we all four of us read like lots of educational books and educational webinars, sometimes they need a step back and I need a narrative. I like so it. So I look. Right. So I look for books that help me understand students and hear their stories. So there's a book by Catherine Applegate, oh, and a Times, uh, New York Times award winning author. And she wrote a book about a Sudanese kid running away from the Civil War. And she writes in prose. And so he goes, he, we follow him from his journey from Sudan to America and what that's like for him. And so he's a slife, right? And so I'm like, wow, this is what it's like for them. And so I was transformed and moved and taken back in a different way than I could have um, with the other professional books. It's like a, it's like it's like another perspective that we need the educational books, like the like the pedagogy books, but we also need to couple it, couple, uh, couple it with student stories, just like Emily's stories. Uh, this is just a different story. Wait, did I miss the name? Did you tell us the name? Home of the Brave. Home of the Brave. Awesome. Okay. Three very, very different books. Um, I really, really appreciate those and I appreciate everything else as well. I'm going to post um, on the blog post and on the show notes how folks can learn more about the work that you're doing. So you can go there to find um, notes as well. But really quickly, if there's a preferred place that people can learn more about the work you're doing, Katie, I'll start with you. Mostly these days I'm sharing on Twitter. I share a lot of examples of what lessons I'm creating for my students. So that's kind of from the classroom perspective, I think where people can find me is on Twitter. Great. And what's your handle? At Katie Topple, K-A-T-I-E-T-O-P-P-E-L. Awesome. And we'll link to that as well. How about you, Carol? Definitely. I'm on Twitter daily like Katie, but I think the, the most supported place would be my blog. 
It's salvac.edublogs.org. And the podcast notes and the videos and everything and connecting to me on Twitter and everything is there. A treasure trove of resources there for sure. Tan, how about you? So Twitter as well. The handle is uh, Tan K Win, which is also my uh, blog, which has about 150 articles as well. Yeah. So you can, anybody who's listening can see that the three people we brought on here have like, there's, I don't know how they do it. I really have no understanding of how they do it all, but they do and they love it and they're passionate as you can tell. And I'm just very grateful that you all um, take the time to chat with me every once in a while. And um, second or third time, Tan, you and Carol, first time with you, Katie, and I hope to do it again sometime soon about another topic, perhaps. Um, So let's stay in touch. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.